We have been exploring a question that Jesus asked of his followers, a question that many struggled to answer. Jesus asked, who do you say I am? We would like to think that this is an easy question to answer. In fact, when we read the gospel story, we wonder how it was that people did not see Jesus and immediately recognize him as the Son of God. If we were there, we argue, we would have known who he was, we would have believed in him, and we would have followed. But as we look at some of the stories of the different people who encounter Jesus, we see that deciding exactly who he was was a challenging task. And the responses to Jesus were all across the board. Some believed in him immediately. Others thought he was the worst thing that had ever happened to the world. Some saw in him the embodiment of a loving God, while others believed that he went against everything that God stood for. John the Baptist, who was born to know who Jesus was, struggled to believe when things didn't go the way that he thought they would with his life. John's faith was strong when he was baptizing in the wilderness. It was not as strong when he found himself in a prison cell. So John had to learn that what God was doing was bigger than he was. It, it, and that God would continue to carry out his purposes even if John's life went in an unexpected direction. The Pharisees were threatened by Jesus. Their world was very much ordered by what they knew and understood. The law of God provided a system by which people should live, and they were experts on this system. Jesus challenged their teachings, their understanding of Scripture, their understanding of God, and ultimately the authority that they had over their own people. The response to this challenge was fear and anger. They saw Jesus as a problem that needed to be taken care of, and so they began to look for a way to kill him. And we saw in this encounter a very difficult truth. When we think we know what God is all about and we encounter something that challenges that view, even if it were to come from Jesus himself, we are thrown into crisis. And at these times of crisis, our response is to defend ourselves or our beliefs at any cost. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but he was able to get past his defensiveness and see that Jesus had power, wisdom, and authority that could only come from God. He approached Jesus at night, we think, so that no one could see, in an effort to find out more about who Jesus was. And Jesus did not take things easy on Nicodemus. He, he didn't spell everything out for him. He didn't even really speak in plain terms. He didn't make the truth of who he was easy for Nicodemus to accept. There was talk about uh, being reborn, about the winds of the Spirit, about the Son of Man being lifted up. Nicodemus had to have eyes to see and ears to hear if he was going to get to the message that Jesus wanted him to hear. He had to do the hard work of overcoming his own preconceived notions of how God worked in the world to see the new redemptive work that God was doing. 
Jesus finally revealed to Nicodemus that his mission was one of love and forgiveness, that that God loves the world and that whoever believes in his son would not die but would have eternal life. But Nicodemus still had to decide whether he could believe in this good news and could accept what God was doing, even if it was different than what he thought was going to happen. Now, I think it's at this point that we need to take a step back and realize that it is difficult for us to read the gospel accounts without having the whole story in mind. We know that Jesus is going to the cross. So every time Jesus talks about going to the cross, our brains automatically accept that, yes, the cross is coming. But the people uh, we are reading about, they have not yet experienced the cross. Whatever they think is going to happen, the cross is certainly not a part of it. We know that though Jesus will die, he will rise again. The tomb will be empty. Jesus lives. But the people we are reading about who don't even believe that Jesus needs to die in the first place, but instead will be this sort of conquering hero, they can't begin to perceive of an empty tomb. In order to perceive of the empty tomb, Jesus will have to die, which in their minds, again, just isn't happening. And then he'll come back to life? What are you talking about? My point is this. Jesus was really a lot for people to wrap their minds around. He was, he was literally changing the world and doing the impossible. And everything that he was doing was leading him to this sort of crash course, this moment of impact with, with the world and with society, with culture, with sin, with death, with Satan. All of these things were difficult for people to understand and see and process in real time. And this was doubly true for those who spent the most time around Jesus. I know that it stands to reason that if you got to spend three years with Jesus, then you should understand him better than anyone else does. But we know, because we've read the story, that the opposite seems to be true. Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, the 12 men who left their families behind to follow him, certainly understood who Jesus was in a way that others did not. But throughout the gospel accounts of his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, we see the disciples struggle with Jesus, his identity, uh, his mission, and most certainly with his death. So the first question that we want to just throw out there when it comes to his disciples is, did the disciples of Jesus understand who he was? And the answer is a definitive sort of. From Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, 
Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, I know that you were wondering when I would actually get to the scripture where Jesus asked, who do you say I am? So here you go. You're welcome. It only took a few weeks. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling all around the northern area uh, called Caesarea Philippi. And as they're going, Jesus asked them this question, who do people say that I am? Now, knowing Jesus, he probably had a good sense uh, as to what the answer to this question would be. And something else about him is that Jesus often asks a first question to set up a second question. So the first question that he asks, who do people say that I am, is a little bit of a curiosity. And people had a lot of ideas about who he was. Uh, the first thing that was suggested was some people say that you're John the Baptist. And this is an interesting one, right? Because John and Jesus actually lived at the same time. People could have seen uh, John and Jesus in the same place. But John's ministry was based in the wilderness of Judea, which was the east, which was to the east, I should say, of Jerusalem uh, in the southern part of the kingdom. As I said, Caesarea Philippi was at the far northern end of the kingdom. So they were anywhere between uh, 100 to 120 miles away from each other, which does make a little bit more sense. So it's entirely plausible then that the people in Caesarea Philippi could believe that John and Jesus were the same person. Oh, that must be John, the one that we've heard so much about. Another suggestion was that maybe he was Elijah. Uh, and according to Hebrew scripture, this would have been significant because Elijah was going to come before the Messiah. Uh, and when we studied John, we saw that he filled the role of Elijah in paving the way for Jesus. Another suggestion is that maybe he's Jeremiah, one of the great prophets, or at the very least, he was a prophet of some kind. This was a way for people to say that they understood him to be more than a teacher, that they knew that there was something significant about Jesus, but they hadn't really decided on who he is yet. All of this illustrates for us uh, just how confusing of a figure Jesus was. And that who he was in the minds of most of the people was still really unclear. But again, Jesus asked the first question to get to the second question. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered. Uh, there's some thought that Peter was not just answering for himself, that he was answering as sort of a spokesperson for the disciples. But Peter answered, you are the Messiah. What a great moment this is. Finally, Peter, the disciples, they, they get it, and they declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that the people of God had been waiting for. 
This confirmation of Jesus's identity from the people who he loved and had spent the most time with him. And and Jesus responded to this declaration with great words of encouragement for Peter. And, And here's what Jesus told him. He said, you didn't come at this on your own. God revealed this to you. And then he tells Peter that he will be the rock on which the church will be built and nothing will overcome it. He will have the keys to the kingdom and whatever he binds on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever he looses on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's a a huge moment of, of confirmation, not just for Jesus, but for Peter and for what's coming. And you almost sense in this declaration from Jesus that he has been waiting for someone to get it and that Peter, the first to say this out loud, well, the first to do anything out loud amongst the disciples, stepped forward and boldly declared that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter gets it. The disciples get it. The kingdom will move forward, right? If only this were true. It is clear that the disciples did have a deeper understanding of who Jesus was and that they did believe that he was the Messiah, but they were still a long, long way from grasping just what it was that God was going to accomplish through Jesus and how it was going to happen. We need look no further than the very next verses. So after this has happened and Peter has declared he's the Messiah and Jesus has given these gifts, these words to Peter, this is what happens, starting in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, again, we're reading this through our knowing the whole story eyes. So this sounds something very much like what Jesus would say. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The disciple who had just declared he is the Messiah, the disciple who had just been blessed by God with the knowledge that he was the Messiah, obviously did not fully comprehend God's plan. Because when Jesus told him that he was going to have to suffer and die Peter thinks he is just flat out wrong, and he is so appalled by these thoughts that he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. This will never happen to you. Peter couldn't understand, you see, how Jesus could be the Messiah and yet die at the hands of the religious leaders. He might have been so shocked to hear Jesus speak of his death that he failed to hear him mention his resurrection, but it's clear that Peter misses what Jesus is talking about here. So Peter decided it would be a really good idea to rebuke Jesus and to tell him how things were really going to go. You're not going to die at the hands of these people. This moment is a startling display of, I don't even know what to call it, 
How could Peter in one breath declare that Jesus was the Messiah and the next tell the Messiah that the Messiah had it all wrong and didn't really understand what God was going to do? Well, Jesus tells us what was really going on. You see, in this moment, Peter was being influenced by Satan. Think about how these two things stand against one another. He listened to God and the knowledge of the Messiah came to him. He listened to Satan and he stood against what Jesus said was going to happen. We are going to spend more time next week unpacking this part of the passage because there are some important things that are happening here. But what Satan was doing through Peter was having Peter speak what he believed deep down, that death was not the necessary path for Jesus. Peter couldn't believe that this was the way things would go, and Satan influenced him to say it out loud and to rebuke Jesus instead of listening to and trusting in Jesus. And something to think about that we're going to get to next week is who was Satan really trying to influence through this moment? Well, Jesus in turn rebuked Peter, calling out the influence of Satan, and I imagine brought quite a hush to his disciples. What a moment this is, a moment of, of deep conflict between Jesus and his followers, coming after this moment of just great confirmation. But this leads us to something important, which we have seen in virtually every example we have looked at. And it is this. Our ideas of how God should do things find themselves in conflict with how God actually does things. And Satan is going to do whatever he can to influence us to put our own ideas ahead of God's plan and even to rebuke God for not doing things the way we think he should. But the bottom line to all of this is that Jesus fully understood how difficult all of this was for even his disciples, his closest followers, to understand. Jesus knew that his disciples were going to struggle to understand and accept God's plan. He knew that they would wrestle with what it meant for him to be not the Messiah that they wanted, but instead a different kind of Messiah, the Messiah that they needed. And Jesus understood that the path God was setting in front of both him and his disciples was not the path that anyone would expect the Messiah would take. Picking it up in verse 24 of Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. What is the message that Jesus wanted to get across to His followers? Yes, He is the Messiah, that He is going to have to suffer and die. And that being the Messiah doesn't make you the conquering hero that's going to march into Jerusalem and lift the people of Israel up. Instead, being the Messiah comes at great cost. It comes at great cost. And Jesus told them that in order to be his disciple, a follower of this Messiah, it comes at a cost to them as well. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. They didn't understand how far Jesus was going to go for the sake of carrying out God's remarkable plan. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to go all the way as far as anyone could possibly go that he was going to give up his own life in order to accomplish God's redeeming work in the world. And this is what set it apart. This is what was so complex and confusing, so hard to understand. Jesus was not coming back just to raise up one nation. Jesus was coming. He came here to die so that the whole world might be redeemed. And this redeeming work called for sacrifice. It called for the Son of God to give up his life so that others would have eternal life with God. So if the disciples were going to be followers of his, then they too were going to have to give up everything in order to gain the kingdom. This is the cost of bringing the kingdom to the world. This is the cost of following Jesus. What must the disciples have thought when Jesus talked about taking up their cross? an implement of death, humiliation, and torture. Because you see, the cross had nothing to do with the story they believed they were a part of. What would they have understood when they heard Jesus say that they had to lose their lives in order to find it? Hadn't they already given up everything in order to follow, leaving their friends, their family, their lives behind? Isn't this road that they were on with Jesus, wasn't it leading to glory and not loss? And the answer to that question is yes. The road Jesus was on was the road to glory. Paul later wrote about Jesus, that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the Son reaches that moment of glory through his death and his sacrifice. He, has, he comes to that place of glory because he paid the cost. It was the losing of his life that led to so many being able to find new life in him. And this church is the great wonder and mystery of Jesus. That the Son of God, already worthy of all honor, glory, and praise, became the embodiment of God's love, giving up everything to come and live with us, to go to the cross and to die for us. And it is this act of sacrifice 
in this act of sacrifice that Jesus became more than our God. He became our Savior. And all the plans that the disciples had would not have led down this road. It would have led to glory, sure, but it would not have led to redemption. And the disciples didn't get it then. Their world was going to be completely torn down by the cross. But things were going to change. And their eyes would be opened when they met the real Jesus the sacrificial lamb, the risen Lord. And the knowledge of that Jesus would lead them to give up their lives for the sake of the kingdom. Who do you say I am? That question is so hard and difficult. And the road that Jesus took to help us answer that question is an impossible road. But praise God that he saw fit to write this story. An incredible story full of wonder, the miraculous, terrible loss, but ultimate victory. Praise God that he gave us this Jesus.